So we're with Aubrey de Grey, SU faculty. We're going to talk about longevity. Aubrey, you're an English author and biomedical gerontologist. It's quite a grand title. What exactly does a gerontologist do? Well, a gerontologist studies ageing. Okay. The decline in health that mm. we exhibit and that all living organisms exhibit, almost all anyway, um, uh, when they were born a long time ago. So there are different types of gerontologists. Mm. There are people who study the essential process of doing that, mm -hmm. of, of, get, of getting old. There are people who try to manage the whole thing and make it less miserable for people. Yeah. Um, uh, a biomedical gerontologist is really someone who does medical research to develop new medicines that are going to be able to keep people less sick, more yeah. healthy um, uh, as, they get, as they get older. Great. Well, I'm going to ask you about age-related diseases. And just so we can understand, and talk about it in layman's terms, what's the difference between disease and age-related disease? That's actually a great question, because there really isn't one. Um, the thing is, thing is that the word disease really has too many connotations. It really is the word that we have used to encompass infections and mm. also genetic um, diseases you know, that people inherit. But really, the idea that there is an age-related disease, or that there are age-related diseases, and then on the other hand, in contrast, there is this other thing called aging itself, mm. that idea has no biological basis whatsoever. Mm. It's really just semantic. We've chosen to give some aspects of aging disease-like names and not others. And it's actually really important to understand that, because the kind of reason that we have stuck to this biologically unfounded misconception, I believe, is psychological that it has been something that we've needed to do in order to carry on pretending that there is this thing called aging that is some kind of blessing in disguise and that we can put out of our minds. Because uh, we, you know, we know that we want to cure diseases, but we don't want to get too exercised about aging because we know that we don't know what to do about it. Mm. The fact that we also don't know what to do about these other so-called age-related diseases, um, you know, we kind of ignore that. It's terrible. And so what I do, really, is I try to... Um, you know, ground the whole thing properly in the biological reality and to come up with ways to actually genuinely keep people healthy late in life, which means preventing not only the so-called age-related diseases, but also these other things, these rather less well-defined things that we group under the term aging itself. So help me understand as well. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper. You say aging has no biological basis. No, it's I didn't say that. I said the distinction between aging and the diseases of old age has no biological basis. Right. So what is it that you know that, you know, pop psychology, pop medicine, people out there don't know about what's actually going on, the kind of discoveries that you've made in the recent years? Well, actually, the good news is that a lot of people do know it now. Uh, you know, when I came along, uh, I was mortified by the... Um, by how little work was being done to try to bring ageing under medical control and to, you know, to alleviate all the suffering that ageing causes. But now, you know, breakthroughs have been made all, all around the world, including by my foundation, Sense Research Foundation, hmm. that have made the, the general public, really, understand that it's much more realistic than they previously thought that we might actually get there. And, of course, there's still a long way to go in that credibility process. I think in the next few years we're going to see that go further. But what we're certainly seeing now is that it's not just uh, you know, future 
leaning organizations like Singularity University, which are um, you know celebrating this future that we're coming to. It's also um, the, the, the private sector in general. Mm. There's an explosion over the past few years in investment interest in this area, and you know literally now dozens and dozens, more than a hundred startups that just in my network, um, uh, including half a dozen that we spun out from our foundation. Uh, that are, you know, succeeding in bringing in respectable investment because inv smart investors are realizing that this is going to be the biggest industry of all time. Mm. And what would it mean for that industry to be successful? What does the vision of the future look like? Does it mean immortality or just means healthy aging? Well, at the end of the day, we've got to recognize that this is just medical research. Now, if one tries to make this distinction between immortality and healthy aging, then really one's not asking the right question because mm. first of all there's no such thing as healthy aging aging is bad for you mm. and we if we if we are to keep people healthy late in life the ultimate goal is to keep people truly healthy just as functional physically and mentally as young adults however long ago they were born so that's not what people today mean when they talk about healthy aging though of course it is what they ought to mean right um, similarly we don't work on longevity we work on health Mm. So any talk of immortality or even longevity is really kind of misuse of the terminology. We should be recognizing all the time that longevity is purely a side effect of health, that you know, obviously most people die of being sick rather mm. than of being hit by trucks. And therefore, if we, as, as and when we succeed in preventing people from getting sick as they get older, then yes, people will on average live longer. In fact, I believe that they're likely to live a very great deal longer. But that's still just a side effect. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, again, you know, people run away from. Because if one actually takes that head on and actually acknowledges what it means, then it means that one cannot maintain any kind of ambivalence about the um, desirability of bringing aging under medical control. Because that would require one to have ambivalence about Alzheimer's disease. And people mm -hmm. don't tend to mm -hmm. have that. Mm. Well, what are the near-term breakthroughs in that, those sort of diseases that you're now bringing up, the, the, the obvious degenerative diseases? Are we close to making breakthroughs or significant improvements? We absolutely are close uh, in many cases. Of course, in some cases, we're closer than others. Mm. So a great um, neurodegenerative disease example is Parkinson's disease, mm. which is a considerably simpler disease in terms of it's just its simple etiology than Alzheimer's. Really, all Parkinson's disease comes down to is the loss, the cell death of a particular type of neuron. Um, these neurons, we, all, we lose them throughout life, and everyone's lost maybe a quarter of those particular type of neurons um, by old age. Some people lose them a bit faster, and those are the people who get Parkinson's. The natural approach to fixing that is to put those neurons back, to put replacement neurons in, which is, of course, something that one could, in principle, do with stem cell therapy. And that idea, in principle, was first tested out more than 25 years ago. It occasionally worked back then. It only occasionally worked because we didn't know really very much at all about how to manipulate stem cells back then. But when it did work, it was spectacular. It, like, mm -hmm. people would be off any other medication and having no Parkinsonian symptoms for 15 years just from one injection of stem cells. So now that we know a lot more about how to manipulate stem cells, there's a number of clinical trials starting up. You know, people are very optimistic that we really are going to have Parkinson's disease licked. Alzheimer's is considerably more complicated. There are lots of different things that go wrong in the brain in Alzheimer's and they go wrong in different ways. 
So um, we're going to have to have a much more multifaceted treatment. But some of those treatments are also coming. We now, for example, have at least four different vaccines that are capable of removing the senile plaques that accumulate in Alzheimer's. And across the board, we're seeing more and more cases, things sometimes not yet in clinical trials, but only a year or two away from that. <clears throat> sometimes, you know, in the early stage of clinical trials, giving really promising results. The fundamental paradigm that we're seeing succeed now, which is really the idea that I put forward nearly 20 years ago, and it took a long time for people to see that it was even realistic, is that we can, rather than trying to slow down aging, we can actually, it's actually easier to reverse aging, to actually rejuvenate people, take people who are already in middle age or older and fix them up, eliminate mm. the damage that their bodies have, have self-inflicted over the whole of their lives. Mm. What would be the sort of obvious applications of that for people? You talk about in middle age, for example. I'm sure the media is going to latch on straight away to cosmetic implications. So, so that, again, the word rejuvenation has mm. um, uh, historically had cosmetic connotations. And, you know, I've basically worked rather hard to reclaim that word. I, re I named my journal Rejuvenation Research about 15 years ago. And on three occasions, the publisher pressured me to try to change the name. They felt it was hurting the circulation, uh, but I resisted. And um, uh, finally, the, the um, you know, time has been on my side on that. So now we've got companies and conferences mm. and you know, very mainstream publications all using this word the way it ought to be used to mean actual elimination of the molecular and cellular damage that the body does to itself throughout life. And that eventually leads to all of these age-related pathologies that I've been talking mm. about some of. Mm. Do you ever take a philosophical view on that, that I'm sure, I know you're, you're a scientist, so you're, you have to be very practical about your approach. Does the question ever come up in conversation or in, in your own sort of internal conversations that there is a reason for aging, perhaps? Is, I mean, how do you deal with that? Because I'm sure the media then likes to have that conversation. We age because we can't all be on this planet at the same time. There'll be too many of us, right? Yeah, so this comes back, of course, again to the question I was mentioning earlier about <coughs> the psychology of um, the discussion around aging. Mm. I could be here for an hour and just not be able to list all of the tricks that humanity has come up with over the millennia to try to put aging out of its mind and get on with our miserably short lives and make the best of it rather than being preoccupied by this ghastly thing that's going to happen to mm. us if we're not eaten by a lion or something. Um, and certainly the utterly utterly embarrassing irrationality that people, other, otherwise perfectly normal people exhibit um, on this topic. It's just like breathtaking. People will say things like, yeah, where will we put all the people? They don't say that when you talk about curing Alzheimer's disease, right? Yeah. right? Um, you know, so that's why I have to make such an effort to, dis to, to, to get people to, drop, to, to ditch this completely fallacious distinction mm. between the diseases of old age and aging itself. Um, you know, similarly, people will say philosophical things as opposed to more sociological ones like population. They'll say things like, um, no, doesn't death give meaning to life? I mean, what the hell is that supposed to mean anyway? Um, you know, or they'll say, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't aging have some kind of evolutionary purpose? Well, so the hell what? You know, diseases have evolutionary purposes too, but that doesn't mean we feel particularly bad about curing them. You know, well, on. what position is that coming from? Why are people, you know, obviously rational human beings, well, rational quote-unquote human beings, and you're presenting the body of evidence. It's not just you. There's a lot of people now presenting this, and yet we're still coming out with these these, I suppose, defence mechanisms. Sure. And the thing is, it used to be perfectly rational to do that mm. until I came along, basically, until 20 years ago. Because until then, we had no plan at all. No plan how to go about actually bringing medicine to bear mm. against the problems of late life. And so 
we could, therefore could not in any way predict how long it would take until we could actually develop such medicines, which may, means that it did make sense to continue with this denial to try to you know, construct these edifices of irrationality to um, avoid thinking about it all. And now that that's gradually changing, that's an enormous part of the problem because it diminishes the amount of financial support that this um, crusade actually um, obtains. Mm. And of course, you know, biomedical research is inherently expensive, so that means that lives are being lost. Things are, you know, it's, it's, um, it's delaying the work. So we have to fight against this as much as we can. But really, of course, there is this huge psychological terror of now of getting one's hopes up because mm. this is pioneering research. We don't know how long it's going to take to um, come to complete fruition. And therefore, you know, people don't want to get too emotionally attached to it and get, you know, uh, um, into a situation where their hopes are then going to be dashed. Mm. So they prefer to carry on believing that the whole thing is science fiction. Yeah, uh, it helps us, you know, I suppose that's the problem, isn't it? Is that despite the the obvious, that we still retreat into the the I suppose the the emotional decision making about it as well. I read a I read a headline written about you as well. It says Aubrey de Grey is working to cure aging, whether you like it or not. So I imagine that despite the fact that all the things that you say that it is actually beneficial to us that some people still don't get it and you've got people to prove wrong obviously and i guess that's probably a bit of motivation for you as no, well. no not really i don't give a damn about proving people wrong i just want to kill i just want to save lives so what would be then like your picture of you know success and looking back on your career you're gonna have a long and successful life obviously so when you look at what you've done, how will you know that that's been successful? Well, I mean, I think at the moment the situation is that the movement is growing exponentially, not just enthusiasts, not just scientists now, as I mentioned earlier, investors and so on. And, you know, we're, we are within striking distance of the point where this whole, what I've called the pro-aging trance, actually mm. just collapses. And when it does collapse, it's going to collapse overnight because it's just, you know, it's just a... a a levee, you know, a dike that's being that's being gradually made more and more fragile, and when it goes, it's going to just go. Yeah. Um, and and when it, and when it does, you know, decision makers, policy makers, politicians had better be ready. Mm. So I spend a lot of my time these days telling people to, um, effectively to anticipate the anticipation. Mm. So uh, there's going to come a point when people switch. In literally like a week, half the population of the planet is going to switch from an expectation that they're going to live only a little bit longer than their parents did into an expectation that they're going to live, you know, you can't put a number on it yeah. anymore. And that's going to change their spending decisions on things like, you know, yeah. life insurance and, you know, everything, pensions. and Yeah, know. everything's going to be impacted. People being born today, what kind of life expectancy? Oh, there's no way you can put a number on it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I would... But it's not incremental, as you say, it's right? Not I mean, we're not talking like 79, 80 to 81, right? We're it's not incremental, that's right. Yeah. But you're not going to put a number on it. We can't. I mean, you know, because these therapies are rejuvenation mm. therapies, that they actually take turn back the biological clock, that means that we can apply them arbitrarily often. And, of course, they will become progressively more effective as time goes on. So more and more versions will be able to, um, you know, re-rejuvenate the same person more yeah. effectively each time and stay one step ahead of the problem. So we will only be dying from causes that do not have to do with how long ago we were born. Yeah. And that means, of course, we have to take into account the trajectory of change in those risks, which will also go down as mm. we get, as we put more effort into vaccine development and, you know, in self-driving cars and asteroid detection. So. Exactly. Aubrey, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really enjoyed that conversation. And it's a fascinating 
area that you're involved in. What's next for you? I mean, you're here in Singapore for a short time, and then you must be flying off somewhere else. I'm afraid so, yeah. So I'm constantly on the road, you know, um, <laughs> preaching the good words, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, good. We'll but keep yeah, doing it. I have to, yeah. I mean, uh, my goal, of course, is to get to a point where the movement is sufficiently established and large that there are people who are better than me at everything I'm good at, and yeah. so then I can retreat into glorious obscurity. And <laughs> Excellent. Well, all the best with that. Hopefully that works out. Aubrey de Grey, everybody, SU faculty, and here at the Singularity University 10X Future Visioning event in Singapore. Thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you for that. very much.